You got a you got a you got a new book coming out. I'm pretty sure you're cranking one of those like every other week. That's right. And actually, yeah, that's what's on my list too. So I have a new book. Um, it's the final book. In Shit, the- I was joking. <laughs> the absolute hell. I can't get one book out and you're cranking out like, Jesus, okay, I'm, I'm off this dude. I'm going to jump off and be, I got to go write, apparently. And what are you doing, man? I'm, I'm right now, I'm writing my book with my other hand. I knew you were, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another awesome episode of This Is Not Church. I'm your host, Nat Turney, with my co-host. How about that, John? You've been relegated to co-host um, with my co-host, John, the bearded one, Turney. Say hey, John. Hey, John. Hey, John. Good, good. I'm glad we're keeping that bullshit alive. Um, <laughs> so, uh, man, we're joined today by our good buddy, Keith Giles, in an episode we're just calling Keeping Up With Keith, or Catching Up With Keith, or Keeping Up With Keith. Catching up. Catching up. Catching we go, up. And we and we go, dun, 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 catching up with Keith. Da, da, dun, dun, catching up with Keith. <laughs> what to do now? He's out thoughts of wilds. Here's our buddy Keith. Does he ever Giles. sleep? Does he ever sleep? <laughs> He's just a writing machine. <laughs> that was the world's worst theme song, but you and I did that together, Keith, and I will forever cherish that memory. It's so, beautiful. I love it. Catching up you don't need a bio. You know Keith Giles. You know what he's up to, man. You know what he's been doing. But guess what? There's a whole lot going on that we just felt like we need to catch up. We need to talk to Keith at least once every month or two just to keep up with all the stuff he's got uh, He's got going on. So that's why we had him back because we just like him. Um, we enjoy talking to him. And I want to yeah. catch up with, with Keith and see what's going on in his life and in his world. So, hey, my brother, yeah. let's catch up. What's up? Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. I'm just so blessed that you guys even came up with the idea. I mean, um, I, I love talking about all the stuff I got going on, and and I do have a lot going on. So, I, and funny, I, before we did this, I I realized I needed to sit down and write write down on a pad of paper, like what am I doing? Because I I got to make sure I can remember everything for this uh, for this episode. So yeah, I think I got it figured out. Uh, <laughs> what I, what am I doing? There's a lot going on. Do you want to just jump into it? Yeah, go for it, man. Okay. Let's go. Okay. <clears throat> well, okay. So real quick, um, we were talking before he record. Um, you guys had interviewed December Rose. Love December. Um, so excited uh, that she has uh, her book, To Hell With Church. Uh, the choir is going to release uh, an edition of that book. And um, I, I, I really pushed hard for us to do that for, for choir. I think I pretty much told Ralph, you've got to do this book. Uh, she's amazing. You know, a choir needs a book like this. I'm working on some edits right now. And um, I, I, we were saying like, I need to go back and listen to that episode because I, I, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm terrified that like December said something like, yeah, I'm waiting for that guy, Keith, to hurry up and finish my edits. But uh, that is what's <laughs> happening. I'll just, I'll just admit it. It's my fault that it's not out yet. Uh, but I'm working, try, trying is with all the other stuff I'm going to say I'm working on. I'm trying to uh, set aside time. I'm about halfway finished uh, doing edits for her book. So that's one thing I'm doing. Um, I'm also, this is really exciting. So, you know, I, I just, my wife, Wendy and I moved back to El Paso, Texas about two years ago. And, um, we started working about the same time, started working with a group called Peace Catalyst International that works to bring Christians and Muslims together. And, um, and, you know, because of COVID that kind of, we did one big event when we first got here in January. Um, I think it was like January, 2020. And, um, and then of course COVID hit. So then everything ground to a halt. And then my Muslim contact here 
uh, moved to Arkansas. So then now I don't even, now I don't even know anybody, right? Who's sort of like a contact person on the Muslim side of things. And um, Wendy and I were kind of like, what are we doing here, man? It kind of feels like, why are we in El Paso? Like my mom, I hear from my mom. And so all that stuff is, that's good. You know, I'm glad I can be here for my mom and everything. But other than that, we were just not sure what, like what's our meaning and purpose here in El Paso. And then um, the news just came out, like uh, I think Friday or Saturday that um, several thousand Afghan refugees were going to be relocated to Fort Bliss um, Army Base, which is right here in El Paso. Oh, wow. So when Wendy and I saw the news, we were like, oh, well, hey, maybe that's why we're here, right? And um, pretty much like, I think it was Saturday morning, then the news said something about how they still didn't know if anybody was, you know, if they were going to make it here or not. No one knew anything. And about five hours later, the news said, they're here. So oh, they're already geez. here. And um, I'm already, I'm scrambling at the moment to coordinate with local, you know, the military base, the chaplain there. Uh, some other local immigrant and refugee uh, organizations here, plus to Peace Catalyst, trying to see a, a, getting something started. So Wendy and I may be very, very busy soon um, serving refugees here from Afghanistan. I'm super excited about that. I'm hoping that all works out. In addition to all, all the other stuff I'm doing, um, I'm going to check off the list here. So there's, okay, December Rose, Afghan Refugee Ministry. Yeah, so also... September the 6th, um, I am launching. So every month I do, every month I do a three week online course based on one of my books. And that's, these have been a blast. I really have loved doing them. They're like, it's only 1999. And, um, we just read through the book together, uh, one chapter at a time every day. They read a chapter, they watch a little video or a series of video clips maybe that I put together from other sources, but I usually lecture for that day, post a series of questions in a private Facebook group. And we run them for three weeks. And every month I've got a new one based on a different book. So the one coming up for September is Jesus Unforsaken, which is the book dealing with penal substitutionary atonement theory. And, you know, the whole idea of like, did God, you know, sacrifice himself to himself, to appease himself, to save us from himself or not? Because I don't think he did. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But if that's not what happened, what the heck's going on on the cross? I know a lot of people have questions about penal substitutionary atonement. Um, a lot of people think it is the gospel and I don't think it is. So, you know, oh, so if that's not the gospel, what is the gospel and how should we think about the cross and all that? So that, that course starts September 6th. And, um, like I said, it's only 1999. So that's, that'll be coming up. Oh, also September 15th, which is a Wednesday, every Wednesday night, starting September 15th, I think it runs for like, um, I, I, I'm a, I don't even know. I think it runs for like maybe in 10 or 13 or something weeks, but it's free. This is free. Um, my co-host for the Peace Catalyst podcast is Becca Pugh and Becca Pugh and myself will be hosting for free every Wednesday night, starting, I think at 5 PM mountain time. So what is that? 4 PM Pacific, a free cohort. And basically it's a zoom based course where, where we walk through, uh, sort of how to become peacemakers, right? So, what is peacemaking? How do you, what's the, what are practical peacemaking things we can do in our community? Just skills we can learn and things like that. So I'm super excited because the Peace Catalyst podcast has been a blast. We've been going now for a couple of months. We've interviewed people like, you know, Bruxy Cavey and Shane Claiborne and tons of people. There's really, really amazing people. People have heard of and people you haven't heard of uh, about peacemaking. And this cohort is a really cool thing because it's free. And, um, and people can, you know, who are curious about that and want to get more into that, want to learn more about peacemaking, uh, can jump onto that. So 
I probably should send you guys links to all this stuff so or something. Yeah, yeah so for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find this stuff. yeah. Um, but yeah, that'll be cool. So there's that. Um, what's next? Oh, also, I'll just mention too, I, I just launched a brand new podcast. So I do now three podcasts, uh, Heritage Happy Hour. Because you got not enough going on, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a podcasting fool. And, um, <laughs> and then I, I just launched this thing. We've, I think episode four came out today. So every Monday we launch, uh, it's right now it's a Zoom based YouTube channel, pretty much like a, so it's a, it's a video podcast, Zoom cast, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's called Imaginary Lines. And my co-host for that is a guy named Daryl Epp, who's a poet and he's really good. And he's not just a really good poet. He and I click on so many levels. He's like a brother from another mother. And the more, gosh, he and I can talk, like the most recent episode was over two hours long. So uh, we talk about pretty much everything. We talk about movies, literature, comics, poetry, of course, but we also get into philosophy and all kinds of stuff. It's really cool. It's just a blast. Um, so if you're interested in anything creative in any way, that's a blast. You can check that out. That's on my YouTube channel and it comes out every Monday. I also post it in, on Facebook and uh, Twitter and we we have a private Facebook group also for Imaginary Lines, if anybody wants to join that. And, and then what we do is encourage people, you know, like if you're a writer, a poet, an artist, photographer, or whatever, you know, post your stuff in the group. Like we're really wanting to encourage people to, to share their creativity and, and all of that. So that's fun. Exciting. What else? Yeah, because there's more. I know there's more. I know there's more. You know, jump in if you want to see you got a, you got a, You got a new book coming out. I'm pretty sure you're cranking one of those like every other week. That's right. And actually, yeah, that's what's on my list too. So I have a new book. Um, it's the final book. In Shit, the- I was joking. <laughs> the absolute hell. I can't get one book out and you're cranking out like, Jesus, okay, I'm, I'm off this dude. I'm going to jump off and be, I got to go right, apparently. And what are you doing, man? I'm, I'm right now, I'm writing my book with my other hand. I knew you were. Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I have, um, uh, what's your I, new book, man? So the new book, and by the way, this will be the final book in the Jesus Own series. So this will be the end of the series. We're going to wrap this up. Um, it's called Jesus Unarmed, How the Prince of Peace Disarms Our Violence. Nice. So it's dealing with the whole idea of, you know, nonviolence. You know, was he, what was Jesus talking about? Was he serious about that whole love your enemy, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek stuff? And what does that mean? Are we supposed to be doormats? Uh, I don't think we are, but, but what does that look like? Right. Does it mean we do nothing? No, I don't think it means we do nothing. Um, so there's somewhere between doing nothing and letting people just run all over you and do whatever they want. There is actually some creative, nonviolent peacemaking that, that starts with the idea of loving other people, loving everyone, whether they're yeah. your enemy or otherwise, and how that works. So that one, I've been looking forward to writing that, and I'm about 90% done with it. Oh, wow. um, so I'm hoping my goal, if everything works out okay, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna be able to hand Ralph the final draft, probably mid September, and usually once I hand it to him, it's a month from there. So it could be out anywhere from October to November of this year. So that'll be that'll should be out. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, Jesus Arm will be out before the end of the year. Let's put it that way. Ooh, just in time for Christmas. Just in time for Christmas, boys the and girls. Perfect stocking stuffer. A great stocking stuffer for your NRA member, self-loving <laughs> friends. Oh man, the holidays are going to be fun at my house. This is <laughs> it's great. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Oh, right. I love that though. I, that that is such a timely, um, needed thing. I mean, I, when I the, some of the some of the more. Um, contentious conversations I've had with fellow Christians over the years. 
Uh, they'll put up with a lot of my tomfoolery, man. They'll put up with a lot of my, you know, a lot of my musings about heaven and hell and the afterlife and stuff. But man, I tell you what, we get into the nonviolence thing and some of the most contentious, vitriolic stuff, like, you know, because, because they are presented and I like that you said that, you know, they, they have been seemingly presented with these two diametrically opposed options, you know, either total brute force or be a doormat. And so that's the response I guess. Well, what am I supposed to do? Just let people walk all over me, do it. I'm supposed to lay back and watch my, and then of course you, you, come up with every conceivable horrific oh. story they could ever imagine. So yes. I'm just supposed to stand by while somebody rapes my wife and just be nonviolent. Yes. Oh, yes, of love. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, but is there not a third way? Is there not some place in between, yes. you know, fight or flight? You know, is there not yes. some place in between, you know, murder and, you know, total pacifism, you yes. know, versus, um, you know, passivity versus pacifism? Yes. I, I have found in my life, and, and I'm not sure if, if you would, if you would agree with this definition, but, but pacifism is a very active thing. It's not passive. Right. It's not passivity. It's not the sitting by. It's a very active choice Mm -hmm. to do things creatively and differently and to sometimes go against our, our greater instincts. I had a conversation with a guy just this morning in my coffee shop. Um, and we were talking about, um, a God of violence and retribution. And, you know, I said, you know, one thing I said to him was, listen, that the, the whole point of, of all of this is that you may well be within your rights to to seek retribution for things that have happened to you. Um, I won't deny that you maybe have a right to vengeance. The Jesus way is laying aside that right and saying, yes. "Yeah, okay, I'm even. I'm, I'm setting that aside, even though I think I'm actually entitled to it." Yeah, which is, I think, what Jesus models for us: that Jesus is absolutely entitled to to perhaps have some retribution for the for the wrongs done, and he lays that right aside and says, except no, this is the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, and I think that's beautiful, man. I love that you're having those conversations with people. And this is honestly something I have been struggling with, with this book. <clears throat> and I've been pretty vocal w- w- to, to uh, my publisher, Ralph, because <laughs> I have no one else I can talk to usually about this stuff. Um, I was like on like chapter three or four. I think it was like chapter three. And, um, Here's the thing. I love this topic. I've been talking about this topic for 20 years. And 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 that's good on one hand because I already know mm-hmm. all the objections. Well, what right. about Jesus made it turned over the tables in the temple? And Jesus made a whip and chased the money changers out of the temple. Jesus said, go and buy a sword. What about in Revelation? Jesus is coming back with a sword out of his mouth. He's going to kill a bunch of people. And I mean, I know all of these things. I've heard them a thousand times. Why didn't Jesus rebuke the uh, you know soldiers? Every time he, t- he talked to a soldier, he never said, hey, stop being a soldier. All those things. Okay, I know all those things. So in the book, it's my chance to sort of like lay it all out. Let me answer all these objections. Um, but at the same time, even though I've done it a thousand times and I, I can do it off, you know, by memory because I've been doing it so long, there's also a little bit of fatigue. I oh, mean, yeah. there's a part yeah. of me that just feels like, really? Oh yeah, my gosh, I have this? to do this again? <laughs> my only hope is that my only, my only, what gives me some consolation is maybe this is the last time I'll ever have to. Yeah, I just put yeah. it in a book and then I can say, read the book, man. Cause I, yeah, really. I, I'm kind of really tired of having these arguments with people because I've been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. No, all the all all those arguments you bring up, I could have brought up from memory as well. Yeah, they oh, come I'm up sure in every them. conversation. <laughs> they come up in every, them. you know, and and what what is what is maddening to me? It, it's absolutely frustrating to me. Is that uh, so? For example, take the go and buy a sword 
right. verse, you know, which is great to lift out of context and say, well, Jesus said, go buy a sword. Um, and literally one sentence later, the Bible tells you why he said that. Now, whether that's Thank a later you. add-on or whatever, I know there's some who would say that that's, that, you know, that's a, that's a postscript kind of thing, but regardless, the literal next sentence says yes. he said this so that he could be found guilty of consorting with criminals and give them a pretext to crucify him so he could fulfill prophecy. Yes, so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. And then and then when it happens, when Peter cuts the ear off, he says, but these things must happen so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. And then he heals the guy's ear. Yeah, and we could, we could talk about, you know, whether or not that's a little on the nose, you know, as far as authenticity of scripture. Yes. Well, yeah, that sounds like someone going, hey, by the way, you know, he did that so that, you know. Right. There may be some commentary, but it's still a commentary. It's still telling me that's why he said it. Yeah. And it's still there. And it's you don't have to go search, you know, you know, some other chapter, verse or someplace, you know, deep within the scriptures to find it. It's literally the next sentence. It's it's the same context, uh, some same conversation that we've had with people over, you know, like the verse in Habakkuk where, you know, your eyes are too holy to look upon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. And the literal next half of that sentence says, so why do you? Right. So, so why wait do a minute. you, God? Yes. So, yeah, I just did a whole series in my church called Just Keep Reading. Uh-huh. Oh, and that's it was good. full right. of those, like, listen, if you would just read even sometimes the next half a sentence, read yes. the next sentence, you'd get all the context. You don't have to be a biblical scholar right. to have read the whole chapter and not just yeah. pull, you know, something out of context. So I just, I, I, it's amazing. Um, and, I, and, and I know in you, there's a, uh, you know, someone who feels my pain. That when <laughs> we have these conversations, we have to go one more time around the mulberry uh-huh. bush and go, Yes, yes, yes. Jesus didn't beat anybody with the whip. The Bible doesn't say he did. Go, go read it. I just, just yesterday, somebody yeah. said that on one, one of the comments on one of my posts. Yeah, but Jesus used the whip and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, Jesus used the whip to drive the cattle and the sheep out of the temple. Go back and read it. And yeah. you know, the beautiful thing is I actually had somebody completely change their mind based on that. Yeah, because um, they they said that not not this guy unfortunately, but, no, 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 but not about that. a year ago, <laughs> about a year ago, um, I, somebody said that, and I told him no, go back and read it, and he went back and read it, and he he apologized, and he even did like a whole YouTube thing of saying I was wrong all these years. I have pointed to that verse to say, well, look, God, you know, Jesus made this whip. And he was, and I always thought he used it to drive the money changers out until Keith showed me. That it, go back and read it. And what it says is, it says he drove, made a whip and he drove all of them out of the temple, all, both the sheep and the cattle, right. and, you know, the oxen and the sheep. And you're like, oh, all of them include is only the oxen is, and the is, sheep, yeah. not people. All of the aminals all of had the to go. Animals. Yeah, yeah. I prefer to say aminals just because aminals. it makes me sound more educated. <laughs> all of the aminals had to go, but... Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 I have a guy who's in my church and maybe he'll listen to this. So Dylan, if you're listening, uh, I love you, brother. And he and I've gone back and forth over some stuff. He's, he's, he's really matured and grown a lot. So he, which means he agrees with me now, but, um, <laughs> but, but that was one of the conversations that he and I had, you know, probably four or five, six years ago, maybe even where he was just, man, he was all on my case about, you know, Jesus being, you know, again, trying to find some justification for some form of sacred violence. And, um, and I, and I did the same thing that you just did. I said, just go read it again, man. Just yep. go read it, go read it closely. Um, you're, right. you're putting something into the text that isn't there and then yep. building a theology on it, which is just right. not right. And he had the maturity to go back and do the same thing and go, Oh, 
yeah, okay, okay. And then he had the maturity to extrapolate that farther and say, how often have I done this, I wonder, uh-huh. with not just this subject. Well, how oh, often yeah. have I done this? Oh, man. So he's become this really diligent student of like, listen, I'm not, and that's been his, his deconstructive process is a lot like mine, which was how much of this theology, how much of this foundation of faith do I have that is simply inherited and I didn't have the foresight to start questioning it sooner and yeah. wonder why I hold these beliefs. And once I, you know, I, I remember telling somebody once I preached a sermon, this is what actually one of the things that needs to go in my book, but started me down the road of some of the stuff as I was asked to preach in, in a church I was on staff at. And I was going to make the, the case that, you know, on the cross, at the cross, that God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. And now his wrath is satisfied and now he can love us. Right. So I went, you know, I'm like, so like good Bible student does. I don't want to just say that. I want a scripture to back that up. That's right. Holy shit, there isn't one. There isn't one. Thank you. Anyway, I couldn't find one that even suggested that's what happened. That's exactly right. And in fact, not only can you not find one that says anything like that, what you find are things like 2 Corinthians 5.19 that says God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us. Reconciling the world. Reconciling the world world to himself. Like, wait. (laughs) And I had to like read, I was like, oh man, how, so you know, uh, this is a this is something I've I would have said this in a youth group meeting. I would have said this, you know, for, sort of glibly offhand. But when I had to start, when I actually had to sit it down, and you know, I was going to preach this in big church, quote unquote. I'm like, well, I better have some scriptural reference to back this up. And a whole lo and behold, um, yeah, fabricated whole cloth. Yeah, you know what? You so know. then I, I don't know if this is what you did, but your sermon should have been. I was looking for a verse that proves this, and you know what? I couldn't find any. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have, uh, I did say something kind of like that, but I, at the, at the time I didn't have anything to replace it with. Right. I didn't know. So I didn't have the answer to why. Um, it, it actually, it, it reminds me of a conversation that we had about the Septuagint a while back Yes. Um, where I was talking to uh, a pa- my, 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 my pastor and I were talking about a, uh, about a verse, right? Um, so we were reading this and so there's a verse and it, it, it doesn't matter the specifics of it because it happens more than once, oh, but there's a, a place yeah. in scripture where Jesus is quoting a Psalm. And so we went to do the, oh, well, let's go find out the Psalm that Jesus is referencing. And so we look up the Psalm in the old Testament that Jesus is quoting and it's nothing even close to what Jesus says. Right. And we didn't know enough at the time to know why I actually emailed. This is my only Eugene Peterson story because he never <laughs> answered me. But I emailed him and I said, explain. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a message issue. I'm like, hey, Eugene, sir, I know you, I, I, I trust you actually as a scholar. And can sure. you explain why these two things are so vastly different? And, and I never heard back from him. But, uh-huh. but now I know because yep. Jesus was going to Septuagint. And what we had in our Old Testament was, was not that. Um, so very, yeah. very interesting things that happen when you start digging into the scripture for real with a little bit of honesty. Oh, yeah. And go, oh, gosh, I didn't find that there. I didn't see it there. Yeah, you so. know, and I didn't, uh, when, I, when I wrote Jesus Unbound, which is my book about the Bible, I hadn't come across that, the discrepancies between the Masoretic and the Septuagint text at the time. So I, uh, but, but in the most recent book, Jesus Unforsaken, uh, I did, I, I had. And so I put, I incorporated that into, the, into that book. Because the, what's interesting is a lot of the, the changes that were made in the Masoretic from the Septuagint, um, again, like you said, Septuagint is the version that, it sounds like a joke, but we're not joking. Gee, it's the version Jesus and Paul read, they really did. 
And because they quoted from it. We, that's what we have in our New Testament. When they quote the Old Testament, Paul and Jesus are quoting the Septuagint because it was a first century uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. And there, and some of the most radical shifts and changes that were made in the Masoretic text, which came several hundred years later, um, are some of the pet verses from for people that love penal substitution. Oh, yeah. Isaiah, right? Like the right. one about it pleased the Lord to crush him, right? It says in the Bible right there, it pleased the Lord to crush him. And that, so God, God, you know, and also says he went and, and made him a sacrifice for our sins. In the Septuagint, it says it pleased the Lord to heal him of his wounds when, if we make a sacrifice of him, not that God did. And so those kind of things like, oh my gosh, man, the challenge, the changes are radical. And I, um, so I feel for any average Christian who doesn't, who's not aware of these things, your English Bible, man, it's kind of lying to you. You better, you have to, there's, it's so difficult to like, you know, you can be an honest person. I'm just reading the Bible and trying to study something. You can be a pastor on a Sunday morning trying to come up with verses for your sermon and pull things out and not realize, well, that word was changed or that's not in the Septuagint. That came, this is the version that came later. It actually says something completely opposite of that. Um, even in the New Testament, there's problems with words changed and things left out and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, man. It makes it really, really challenging. Yeah. You have pastors who are being taught by other pastors or, or going to seminary and being basically told, this is, this is what you're going to preach. This is how you're going to preach it. Uh, don't, don't deviate. And then you get into a church environment where, uh, questions are discouraged on every level. Yes. Um, to the point where um, you you become the problem if you ask questions, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it was like that was the first step for me leaving the church was you know when I was younger it was uh, I'm asking too many questions. I'm 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 asking I'm delving too deep, and that's not really mm-hmm. my place. But it seems to me that as we as we hear a lot of these pastors and people that are in the church and they're and they're finally coming to a point of their own deconstruction or their own you know looking to dismantle this, right? How often we hear, no one's ever told me this. Uh, I was never, I've never heard anything like this. I was discouraged from asking these kinds of questions. And, um, Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, me being outside the church and looking in, you know, I, I, I can be pretty vocal and I can be pretty, um, heavy handed sometimes on my, my opinion on the way the church mm. does this. Uh, and I think, I think they do a piss poor job of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, though? What's encouraging to me, though, you're exactly right. And it's got to be, it's really hard to be a pastor in that situation. Uh, I've talked to tons of pastors who are, in fact, several of them are in the square one, you know, course I've, that I've been doing. Uh, in fact, every square one I've had at least one, but usually two or three, either existing pastors, former pastors, and or missionaries uh, in the group. And to the point where like, you know, hey, if people knew that I was in this class, I would get fired. You know, yeah. um, it's got to be, a t- it's really tough. And you think deconstruction is hard and it is. It's 10 times harder if you're a pastor and you're, you know, your livelihood depends on you're not bucking the system. Unless you're in a situation where like, hey, I started this church. This is my church. I can't be fired. Um, but a lot of That's guys so are denominational, right? Where it's like, <laughs> I'm a Southern Baptist or something yeah. or, or whatever. And man, if I preach something that doesn't fly right, they're, they're going to vote me out. I'm out of here. For sure. So, um, it's really tough. But you know what? I will say on the plus side, 
not only have I talked to guys who are deconstructing or in that sort of bind, that kind of, you know, cash 22 thing where they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And it's really tough. But you know, at the same time, I have talked to pastors that are more in, kind of like, probably like with you, Nat, where, um, where they do have some freedom, right? And they can get up on Sunday morning and say, you know what, guys, uh, I was wrong and, or I'm, I'm changing my mind on something. And I, and let me show you what I'm learning. And we'll try to bring the church along with them. Like I just got to know this guy. Um, I think he's in a church in Montana. And he just preached a whole series on hell. He read my book and I think he read Jerzak and he read Bentley Hart. He read several books on, on hell. Um, but my book is one of them because he, he started corresponding with me on Instagram and uh, he sent me links to some of the sermons, man. And he started off, you know, really just let's talk about the three views of hell historically. And he talked about the one that they all knew. And he said, well, the other one is annihilation. Let's talk about this and the verses on that. And he played it at first very like, you know, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, I'm not picking a side, right? And then, it, then the, then he did a series of sermons on universalism. And then, then he kind of came around and said, um, yeah, I, I think I don't believe eternal torment anymore. And now, and then like all, he lost a bunch of people, other pastors in his, in his town started preaching against him and saying he was a false prophet. And like, it, it was really painful for him. But man, he stuck to his guns and they're doing great. And I, and I, I hear stories like this a lot more often. Um, I've even heard from people in my square one and square two courses that, cause they're all over the place or all over the U S and also like in England and Australia and New Zealand and Mexico and all over. And, um, and, and sometimes they'll tell me, Oh, I found this church down the road and they're like affirming homosexuals and they're universalist and they're, they're, they don't believe they teach, um, you know, Christus Victor, they don't teach penal substitution. And I'm like, wow, maybe the landscape is beginning to change. You know, that that's, I'm starting to get some hope. I mean, I, I still don't want to go back to a traditional church ever again, but, but <laughs> if it was no, one like that, I might, I might say, you know what, I'll try it because we need more stuff like that out there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I started going through some of this stuff a few years back and I was still on staff at a church and, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that my livelihood never really depended on any of this. So I say I'm on staff. I mean, I'm the guy making a hundred bucks a week as a worship leader, as a stipend, Woo-hoo! you know what I mean? I'm not making, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like if I piss somebody off, I'm out of a job and I'm boned and I got to lose my house and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I don't put myself in that same category. But but I did get to a place of real discomfort within even that church with people that I loved. But having to dance around some of these issues and having to couch them in terms that would keep me out of trouble and out of the office being talked to about my heretical views. And so yeah. um, at some point, I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And so I we planted a new church. And um and then I found myself six months into this thing doing the same bullshit I had been doing when I when I didn't have the freedom. Even when I had the freedom, I was very concerned of people's opinions and I didn't want to rush them. They want to push them too far. And so I, was, I found myself writing sermons that would dance around, you know, up to the edge of certain things and just back. And, and so I had this epiphany when we came back from COVID that um, I'm not doing this anymore. You yeah. know, I have, there are people in this church who, who are in, you know, who are part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I have married couples and with families wow. and their lives matter more to me than any of these sure. people's opinions about any of this other stuff. And so I'm not dancing around this stuff anymore. I'd rather have five of them than 500 assholes who, <laughs> who can't see past the nose on their face to love, love people. And so, and I, so I did a series on hell too. And I, I remember talking to one of my board members. I'm like, just just buckle up because 
I have danced around. And they all, all those people know how I feel. Sure. And they had given me a, you know, there'd been a few like, hey, why, you just, why don't you just come out and say it? I'm like, because I'm just trying to bring people yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, I don't, don't want to just landmine, you know, I don't want to just... So I, so I did, I did, I did that whole thing. I did almost exactly like what you, what your friend did, where just laid out the views and like, like, and, but, you know, kind of that thing of like, listen, does this really make sense to you? Like, does this, does this actually stand up against what the scriptures tell us about God and how his love is enduring and how he's merciful and how he does this and he does that. And, and, and then it, I'm in the same breath, I'm supposed to also believe that he has this plan for most of humanity. Right. That's going to relegate them to, you know, a subterranean torture chamber that would make Hitler <laughs> blush. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that makes Pol Pot look like, you know, a boy scout. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's been very liberating. And what I have learned, I'll tell you this, Keith, what I've learned is this, the people that I thought would push back the hardest have been the ones who've leaned in the most. Oh, and wow. people that I assumed would, would get, you know, would be offended or, or whatever have, have, have stuck around. Um, I'm not saying they agree. Um, but I did admonish all of them to like, listen, I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but let, let's at least have the conversation and don't get so offended that you just leave. That's so good. let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's see. You know, if there's so, and, and it's, it's been good. It's been liberating. It's helped me sleep at night. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's good, man. That's really good. And I have people like you to thank for stuff like that. So this uh-huh. is me saying thank you for, uh, for helping me walk through that with some authenticity, you know? Yeah, man. Happy to, happy to help any way I can. Hey, so I got three more things. Yeah, oh, go for it, man. Four. Right I'm sorry. Four. 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 Four more things. So uh, I think three's, gonna... three's the limit, isn't oh, it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, one of these I can scratch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Man. Go for it. You take all the time you need, man. Right. So I think I'm kind of scooping something. Maybe not. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm scooping anything. Um, so um, my my good friend, and I'm, I think he's a friend of yours, Jason Elam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love Jason Elam. So Jason emailed me a couple of weeks ago and he was like, hey, I'm going to, I think he's editing this. He's putting together a project and I'm assuming this is for choir. Uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go in and say it's for choir. So Ralph, you have, you have to publish this now. Um, and it's a book on deconstructing, uh, deconstructed parenting. I don't know what the actual title is going to be, but he asked me if I'd contribute a chapter and I have, I don't, I know very little. I know Matt DeStefano is also publishing a chapter because he actually said something about it on Facebook. And, um, and then That's I was right. talking, I, I did see that. Yeah. 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 And I was talking to Todd Vick. And I kind of tentatively said, hey, Todd, are you writing a chapter for a book that Jason Elam's doing? He goes, yeah. I'm like, yes, so am I. So that's all I know. I don't know who else is is, um, on the list, but I'm sure it'll be a a great one. Um, So I'm going to be, I have to write, I haven't written it yet, but I think it's due. I have to hand it to him by September like 10th or 11th or something like that. So so yeah, that'll be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to contributing to that book. And... um, that's one. So the other one is, um, I have a, an event. Now, again, if, um, if COVID, you know, uh, cooperates with us, I have two events that are scheduled coming up. So one of them is coming up in October, October 22nd and 23rd in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This actually is an event that was supposed to happen in 2020. Of course, it, you know, COVID happened and it got postponed. Uh, but it's the Misfit Theology Conference. Um, Brian's on. And myself and one other gentleman, I don't remember his name, um, uh, are sort of the three keynote speakers for this event. And then there's a ton of other people that speak. Um, Gabriel Gordon, he's also a choir author. He's the, the guy putting it together. Um, and he's, he has a great book from choir. Uh, 
also. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, look, if it, if it happens, I hope so because I've already bought my ticket. So one way or the other, I'll be in Tulsa. <laughs> if you live in Tulsa and the event is canceled, you know we can let's go out to lunch or take you know coffee or something. Uh, but I'll I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, October twenty second, twenty third, for that. Um, and then I have uh, an event that I'm putting together. This is way out there, so I'm sure we'll if we talk again in the next couple of months, I'll mention this again to give you an update. Um, and there are some things to update, but um, it's called Awaken. 2021, it's happening in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, March 18th to the ni- and 19th. Uh, we're doing it at this beautiful church called Sparrow Day. And uh, it'll be, it's myself and Jim Palmer are the two main uh, speakers. Uh, but Michelle Collins will be there. Brandon Dragon will be there. Um, so we have three choir authors right there. Um, I know several people in Nashville that are also going to be there. I, I, I'm going to tentatively say my friend Richard Jacobson uh, my very good friend, Richard Jacobson, who wrote a book called Unchurching. He also lives in Nashville. And if he can be there, he will be there in some capacity, whether he's, uh, if nothing else, sitting on a panel discussion with the rest of us. Um, but if he, if he can do more than that, I'd like for him to either do a session or do a workshop, you know, like something like that in the afternoon. And I am tentatively talking to, I probably shouldn't say it because it's not, I, I don't talk to them until I think Wednesday to nail down the specifics. So next time we talk, I will have confirmation. But let's just say, to me anyway, a pretty high profile, uh, formerly Christian musician who has been deconstructing lately. No. And he will be the musical guest. I'm not going to say anything. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. I'm not going to say it. I won't confirm it. I know who you're talking about. But I'm um, super. Because he won't be on my podcast, the big jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm all podcasted out. I'm like, shut up, do a podcast. <laughs> so um, now you know who I'm talking about, John. I'm <laughs> talking. I'm talking to his uh, whatever his, his manager, publicist or whatever is. Yeah, publicist manager, somebody <laughs> to figure out. Uh, hopefully, we can afford him. Uh, that's that's yeah. the main thing. Uh, but um, anyway, that's that's that would be super cool, exciting. Man. Yeah. I, I, I want, I've been wanting to do something in Nashville for a long, long time. I have family in Nashville, in that area. And, um, I was just out there for my, one of my, my mom's sister died and I went out there, flew out there to do the service a couple of months ago. And while I was hanging out there with my cousins and everything, they were like, well, you should come back here again and hang out more. And I was like, you know, I think I, I bet I can pull off an event in Nashville. I think I know so many people out here. So I, that's what started it. And then I just started like, well, let me call this guy and Jim Palmer's there. And yeah, he was like, yeah, let's do it. And oh, Michelle's there. She's like, sure. And Brandon's like, yeah, let's do it. And Richard Jacobs like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. And so I looked around and found this wonderful church building. The pastor there is awesome. Um, it's a great spot. It's right there in Nashville. So yeah, man, again, if, if COVID participates, we're doing it. It's going to yeah, happen sure. um, in March. So fingers crossed that that will happen. Yeah, Man, that's then, a lot. And then you're one, coming to West Texas at some point. I mean, well, you're at some already point, in, dude. I'd love to come to San Angelo. You're already in way West Texas as it is. Or no, you're in East. No, wait, West. West. What the as hell? As far west as you can get and still be in Texas. I'm in that teensy little corner, the absolute tip corner of the far west. You actually, you came up today when we were we had David Gunger on uh, earlier oh, yeah. today. And uh, I was like, he, he was just talking about geography in Texas. I said, yeah, my friend Keith is in El Paso. That's, oh, it's in the same state, but it's a world away, man. It's oh, 400 yeah. friggin' miles from where I live. That's a that's a day trip by anybody's standards. But Easily, yes, um, a day's drive. A day's drive through a lot of nothing. Yeah, through a lot of nothing. When I was living in, uh, I lived in Carlsbad, New Mexico for a little oh, while. Yeah. Um, for about 
seven or eight months working on a job there. And uh, it was closer to go to El Paso than it was to go home from Carlsbad. Oh, yeah. It was only a couple hundred miles, you know. Oh, um, yeah. I think it was anyway. But anyway, so when I needed to go to town, <laughs> it was like, go to El Paso or go yeah. now, go to El Paso. So my friend, uh, one of my best friends growing up was a guy named Ken. And uh, Ken's family was in El Paso for several years. And so my, my, uh, my opinions of El Paso were formed by him. Uh, and they called it El Pisshole. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So they, and he had no fond memories of El Paso, man. Yeah. Um, okay. He was like, I got to go back to El Pisshole again. I'm like, no, I've been there a couple of times. I thought it was pretty cool, man. <laughs> okay. So uh, let, me, let me just talk. I'm going to talk trash a little bit about El Paso. Yeah, <laughs> um, good, man. So, okay. so, so first of all, let me just preface this by saying, I lived in El Paso from probably like 1974, 75. So I was in junior high all the way through junior high, high school, went to UT El Paso, graduated from college there. That's where I met my wife, Wendy, there. And my parents have lived here, you know, the whole time ever since. And we moved back here, like I said, like a year and a half, two years ago. And so we're back here again. And when I first moved here, when I was in junior high, I loved it. Because out of all the other places I lived in my life, this was the best. However, since then, I have spent 25 years in Southern California. And honestly, for me, that's home. And so when I come back to El Paso, I'm a little disappointed. It's not, you know, it doesn't measure up to other places I've lived and my other experiences. But here's why, here's why I think, uh, I think I finally figured it out. So um, Wendy and I, are trying so hard to connect with with people here, which has been really hard to do because people's attitudes here are pretty much like, for someone like me, I'm very, I'm a progressive sort of like, I want to talk about new things and different things. And the attitude for most people here is that it isn't broken and we don't need to fix it. And we don't care about new ideas. You know, what are you talking about? So that's really tough for someone like me to have a conversation. No one's interested. No one's curious. I go, you know, did you know? No, they don't care. So, <laughs> so that's part of the problem. But then the other problem is, you know, we're trying to connect and, uh, and trying to just find stuff to do here because it's really boring. So we literally, <laughs> Wendy and I are trying really hard. So we Googled the top 10 things to do in El Paso, right? And then this, this list came up, right? Are there Number 10? one. Yeah. The top 10 things to do. I can't believe there were 10. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, um, one of them was like, uh, San Jacinto Plaza, which is downtown. It's this park they've renovated downtown. It's kind of old. And then there's the, uh, El Paso Plaza Theater, T-E-R. Number two, and then number three, the El Paso Plaza Theater TRE. Don't convince, don't confuse those two things. They're two different things, and they're like back to back on each other. So one's like a the TRE is where they do plays and you know things like that, and the TER is where they play old movies and stuff, right? So keep those straight. And then, um, and then the Museum of History, which we and the Museum of Art, which we've already been to once, and it's okay. And Museum of uh, the History Museum there. So anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to make this short. So we drove, we drove, we spent, we spent a day, right? We drove down, parked the car. We're like, okay, we're going to go to the museum of natural history, the history, sorry, the museum of uh, history, which is the history of El Paso. Yeah, it was okay. Not that great. Yeah, but whatever. It was fun. Could not find the, the front door to the El Paso Plaza Theater, T-R-E. And that's bizarre to me. It's there. You can see the building. The, the exit, the, the entrances for the, for the actors, the stage door entrances to get backstage. There were two of them and they were clearly marked and there was even a guard standing there, but there was no front door to say, welcome, come inside and sit down. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. That was bizarre. We go to the little plaza thing. It was the dumbest 
most boring thing I've ever seen. They have, <laughs> giant, they have this giant, goofy sculpture of these um, alligators because, you know, 100 years ago, they actually had live alligators there, but not anymore because they died. And then there was some, you know, people are upset about the fact that you had alligators in the middle of Texas downtown. So anyway, so they now they have these really, this really goofy sculpture of these giant alligators and pretty much nothing else. There's nothing to do there but stand there and go, those are goofy alligators. <laughs> so then we, cr- then we see across the street, there's this huge sign across the street and it says, El Paso Visitor Center. I mean, it's a big, huge sign. I mean, like in letters five feet tall, El Paso Visitor Center. And it's right across the street. It's obviously this building. I'm like, oh, let's go over there. So we cross the street, go inside, open the door. And I am not kidding you. We open the door and the only thing in there is a men's room and a women's room. There's not a, there's not a, there's no brochures. There's no maps. There's not even a desk that someone could be sitting at that could have said, welcome. Hi, can I help you? No. Men's room, women's room. That's it. That's the visitor center. So, okay, we're, we're trying so hard, right? And uh, we're driving home. And Wendy said, my le- I'm trying to remember her quote. It was this beautiful quote. She goes, my threshold for mediocrity is just really low. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I feel the same way. But so then it clicked for me. I'm sorry, here's the point of my story with El Paso. Here's what clicked for me. I think I understand why those top 10 things on the list of things to do in El Paso were on that list. And there were other things, like usually there are shopping malls or things like that, right? Restaurants, things like that. Here's why. I suddenly realized it. If you zoom out of the map of El Paso about to like a 400 mile radius, do you know what's in that 400 mile radius? Nothing. So if you live in, you know, Chaparral, New Mexico, or Las Cruces, New Mexico, or Van Horn, Texas, or Fort Stockton, or these really do-nothing towns where there's basically a truck stop and a 7-Eleven. Maybe they have a Walmart, but probably not. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Within a 400-mile radius, El Paso is the biggest thing there is. We have like four malls and six movie theaters and lots of, you know what I'm saying? So if you think of it in the perspective of compared to everything else in a 400-mile radius, well, it's okay, massive. yeah, El Paso yeah. is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been to Van Horn and Fort Stockton. Uh, they got a gas station and a huddle house, and that's it's pretty a great much place to get a, to fill up your fill up your gas tank. Maybe get a chicken fried steak at the truck stop. Yeah, but Van Horn is where uh, that dude launched his freaking uh, rocket from. Yes. Why Van Horn, Texas? I don't I can't know because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nobody to piss off. If it blew up, it would do nothing but kill a bunch of like. I don't yeah, know. Road maybe, runners. A, maybe a coyote. Maybe <laughs> a coyote a, you know, or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nuts, dude. It's it, here. Here's a here's here's an interesting story. I'll tell you real quick, just because okay. um I was scrolling through my Facebook. Here I am. Oh my gosh! I had a really neat conversation with um the guy who used to pastor the church in the building where I am now. Uh-huh. And I knew fifteen years ago. I know him. He's a good buddy. Um, we don't. We're not like fast best friends or anything, but I know him and he's a good guy, you know? And I knew yep. he was deep, deep, deep in the grace camp at one point. So haven't talked to him, had a, haven't had a meaning, meaningful conversation with him in a very, very long time. And he stops into the coffee shop because we've converted the church into a coffee shop through the week. And then it's a church on Sunday and and he, he just stops in. I'm like, dude. And he's like, man, I love what you're doing here. This is so cool. And we end up having this hour long conversation and he's name dropping everybody we know. Wow. He's name dropping Baxter. He's name dropping uh. Paul, you know, Brian Zahn. He's name dropping. He's like, yeah, I read this book by this guy. And I'm like, oh, we need to sit down and talk. Wow. Um, you've been drinking from the well. 
Um, <laughs> and so that was one guy. And then um, just yesterday, another friend of mine who's a pastor in town, who for all intents and purposes, I thought he was a, you know, a pretty standard evangelical. He's the guy that dropped that Facebook post of yours. Really? It was one? the one from your book. Uh, it says, when I see people who claim to love and follow Jesus, oh, placing yeah. more emphasis on the Constitution than the Sermon on the Mount, or living their daily lives according to their rights as American citizens, rather than as surrendered servants of Christ, it greatly concerns me. And this is from you know my, my buddy Todd. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that's that's my friend Keith. Like, that's from his book. And so when I, when I, you know, maybe a few months back when I started conceiving of having somebody like you come, I'm like, I just, man, I'd hate to have him come all this way and, and, and not find an audience here. And now I'm hopeful yeah, that if I reached out to Todd and I reached out to my friend Chunky and I said, Hey man, um, which by the way, how, how great a pastor name is Chunky. Chunky. Chunky, if you're listening, I can't dude, wait to meet Chunky. I love you, dude, man. He's such a great guy. I, I, I did talk to Baxter at some point about maybe coming out here too. And he was, you know, he's, you know, graciously, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if, if we'll make that happen or not, but yeah, dude, I would do that. How, now, how far is it? Do you know how far is San Angelo from El Paso? Because I can about, four, about 400 miles. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, no, I think we need to make it happen. Um, I just, I, my concern was, like I said, I'm like, I just, I just don't want to have you come all this way. If nothing else, come, we'll have dinner, we'll hang out. Sure. Um, there's more stuff to do in San Angelo than El Paso. Um, we got a river any, and everything. I mean, do you, have so. any, do you have any bookstores there? Like, a, um, nah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we have see, a couple of small bookstores, but, um, that very, it, it, yeah, no, bookstores so are not our thing. Here's my litmus test lately for whether or not, you know, this is a place I want to live. Do you have a Trader Joe's and do you have a really cool used bookstore? If you have either one of those things, uh, I consider it. If you have both of those things, I will, I'm, I'm very, very interested. Yeah. No, we have not, we have no Trader Joe's and no decent used bookstores. Uh, Um, sadly, that's because John and I grew up, you know, we're, you know, uh, you know, avid readers and my dad's, yeah. you know, has, has always been a writer my whole life. And so we love books. And um, oh, for yeah. several years we were selling and we were buying and selling books online and um, where they live, man, there's used bookstores and thrift oh, stores yeah. that have all kinds. And, and out here, there's just like, I don't think people read. I'm like, holy uh, crap. Why is there like a little tiny bookstore in this town of a hundred thousand people? We have, we used to have a Barnes and Noble. They shut that down. Cause you know, couldn't uh, you, support know that. Why? you know, what, what, you know, so what we have left is we have a couple little mom and pop stores. And, but anyway, um, yeah. but there's still a lot to do here. Our visitor center actually has brochures in it. Oh, okay. And, and friendly people who will say, hey, let us show you the, our little river walk and uh, let's show you my a, downtown. And, do they have know, a bathroom, a men's room, and a women's room separate? Both. Okay. And no <laughs> statues of alligators anywhere. Oh, well, good. All right, Mermaids. there you go. Yes, we have those boxes, for some damn reason. But no, it's... Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, I think we need to make that happen um, sooner rather than later. But uh, yeah, let's talk offline. We can we can yeah, see, see, Sounds great. see what would happen, and then you can go to Eureka and hang out with all of the all the people in John's little town. Oh yeah, are you in Eureka, California? Uh, I am actually about forty minutes east of Eureka. I'm okay. in, a, in a small community called Neyland, California, which is up in the mountains east oh, of, nice. east of Eureka. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I work in Eureka. Nat and I were born and raised in Eureka. Uh, most of my life, I lived in Eureka. All right. So this is, this is I know, is a stretch because I know everybody in Eureka doesn't know everybody else. But you know a guy named Mark McGowan? Oh, my God. He's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work with a guy. I worked with a guy who lived up there. So. That, that name, but I couldn't tell you why. It actually is a small enough town that that's likely that we might go, yeah, yeah, sure. I think I know that. Or at least I know the family. I might know the McGowans, but that's right. you know what really pissed me off, John? And this is so off topic, but it's a Eureka topic. 
there's a show on Netflix called Virgin River. Have you heard of yeah. this? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, we've been watching it. We watched really? a little bit of it. Crap. Yeah. So it's it's well, I really only watched it because it's supposed to be set in Humboldt County. Right. So it's supposed to be, and they and it's not. Oh, um, they filmed no. the whole thing in Canada, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, but you. it's interesting that they <laughs> that they name drop all these, not just like Eureka, which is a bigger town, but they talk about like Myers Flat. John, you see that? Like, yeah, we got over Myers Flat. We're going to go over to uh, uh, Garberville. They talk about. Oh, I, Fortuna. They mentioned Fortuna and Arcata. Wow. All these little tiny towns. But when they, every time they show like an outside shot and they pan back, it's like, nope. Sorry, there's not a redwood in sight, dude. There, there can't be Humboldt County. There's no redwoods there, man. So I did Google it up. I'm like, yeah, there. And, and did you notice how swanky Eureka is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, like, no, no, it's yeah, not. Eureka <laughs> <laughs> no. is a, it's a nitty gritty little coastal town, you know, that's got its, you know, history and fishing and logging and it's, it ain't swanky, bud. Right. Um, it's cool, but it's not swanky. See, that's so. what I love about, that's one of the things I love about, um, I love the movie No Country for Old Men. Love movie. that movie. Yeah. So I lived in Eagle Pass, Texas. When I first moved to, when we first came, my family first came to Texas, that's where we lived is Eagle Pass, Texas. And I've been across this bridge to Piedras Negras, which is a, the Mex- Mexican city across the border. And so in the film, first of all, it, it's already dead on accurate. Like all the people, the little towns they go to, they even go to El Paso at one point, right? And they are in El Paso. They're, there they are. But they go to uh, Del Rio, Uvalde, all these little towns around Eagle Pass. And then they, they end up in Eagle. He ends up in Eagle Pass at the hotel. That's where the big shootout happens, right? And... Um, I mean, that's one of the things I loved about the movie is like, damn, I've been to, I've walked those streets. I've been to that town. Like they really went there and they really nailed, you know, the, what it's like, even just the feeling of like the people there, the way they talk, the way they act. It was like, okay, this is legit. I really love, I love that they went to that level of making sure it was, it was real. Yeah, and that was a, that's a Coen Brothers film, isn't it? Oh, I love the Coen Brothers. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you'd, you'd expect nothing less. I almost guarantee they had to have hired a crap ton of locals to be in that yes. movie. I bet There's they probably did. a lot of un, like, like, unpro, like not, not unprofessional, but, but non-professional actors in there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I noticed that too, because I'm, you know, that's my part of the world too, you know? So mm-hmm. I've been to Del Rio. I've been to Uvalde. Oh. I've been to all those places. And I'm like, oh, Crystal crap, City. Yeah. Crystal City. Uh, isn't I mean, um, Matthew McConaughey, I think, is from either Crystal City or Uvalde or something like that. He's, he's from one of those little towns. Yeah, and he had, a, he may still, he did at one point. That's why I do all my Matthew McConaughey jokes because, uh, you know, all right, all right, all right. He's, he, he has been spotted here. His grandmother or his mother, I think his grandmother owns a ranch oh, near wow. San Angelo. And so he's sort of considered a local guy. Yeah. Um, so is Tommy Lee Jones, though. Oh, really? Um, Tommy Lee Jones has, has property um, in Big Lake, Big Spring, something like that, somewhere nearby here. That's um, funny. And all the stories about him are he's a real dick. <laughs> um, but Matthew McConaughey, yeah. he's just supposed to be like just super nice guy, just like. But I'm like, I, isn't Tommy Lee Jones? And I'm like, yeah, don't, don't, don't talk. Yeah, to don't, yeah. If you see him, him, don't go up to him. Yeah, he's, a, he's an asshole. He doesn't like to be approached. You know. I'm like, all right. I, I, I like to it. tell people, you know, I I think I would be a different kind of famous person. So go ahead and like, Lord, thrust yes, me into Lord. that. I think I would be. It. I think I would be. You know. I don't know, approachable. Like, hey, yes. you're that like, guy. I'm like, yes, I am that guy. Come take a picture with me. Um, yes. But I guess I could see a place where that might get frustrating after a while too. But Oh, yeah, I'm sure it would. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff, man. But yeah, if you, uh, the, um, I don't even know where I'm going with that. I just start stuttering <laughs> and just hopefully a thought <laughs> comes to me. It's like when I used to pretend to speak in tongues. Just I'll just talk until it's such did you ever, were you raised up in any kind of charismatic circles? Did you spend some time in that little, in that I, wasn't, I was raised Southern Baptist, but, um, 
when I was older, when Wendy and I got married and moved to California, we kind of got connected with the vineyard churches there. And I ended up working for a vineyard music group and we helped to plant a vineyard church. So they're not Pentecostal, but charismatic. And they definitely did, um, you know, prophetic words of knowledge and people speaking in tongues and that kind of stuff. That was a, that was a normal thing. They didn't make a big deal about it. It wasn't, usually wasn't awkward, too awkward sometimes, but not, not all the time. I don't remember a time. I don't remember a time where it wasn't awkward. <laughs> yeah, it was. When you and I were remember? kids, I mean, oh my goodness. Well, first of all, youth group, right? Um, were uh, almost like a requirement yeah. to speak in tongues, almost. or, or yeah. you couldn't let the band meeting break until somebody did it, right? You're not saved so, if you're not speaking. So in we tongues. took turns pretending, like somebody's yeah. speaking tongues, dear God, or we're not going to go home. <laughs> we need to go leave here. <laughs> humana, humana, humana. So please, dear God, humana, humana, shamala, shamala, yeah. ding dong. Let's go home. There was that section of time, I don't, I can't even tell you how many geez, months, years, where it seemed like it happened every Sunday service. Yeah. It was like, it's like, this, surely this doesn't, this doesn't seem like normal. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it would happen this often. And uh, <laughs> it, you get to the point where, you know, as a kid, you know, and sitting in service, you're like, I think, I think someone just needs attention. Yeah. Is, is what, I, know, what I, what I, what I took from it, but. Yes. Um, Sometimes, Sometimes. of course, course I'm cynical. Yeah, no, but I will say, um, uh, even though, yes, I'm, I was very skeptical about a lot of people, you know, having words of knowledge or God, God told me, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I smell like, yeah, right. But I, at the same time, I have had an experience and it was at the vineyard. Um, it was actually a home group uh, experience. First time it ever happened to me where this total stranger came into the meeting, prayed over me and said stuff that there is no freaking way anybody could have known. Certainly not anybody I'd never met before. And that freaked me out, man. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what just happened, but God had to tell him those things. There's no way. I mean, there was even one specific thing that same week I had in my own, just like driving in my car on the way home from work. And I was just talking to God and I just asked God a question about something. And in this thing, the guy's praying for me and he's already reading my mail and doing all this mind-blowing stuff. And he stopped and he goes, God knows that you want, you asked him the question. And then he, he said the question and then he and then he said, the answer is yes. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> so that when it happens to you and it's legit, like, okay, I don't know what just happened, but that was crazy. So sometimes it's real. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I have, I have my own experiences with some of that stuff they are few and far between. And I think that's, I think that's, I think that should be par for the course. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a cynical way of looking at it too, but, and I think we have enough intuition at times to sense when, okay, it's someone, this is just somebody performing oh, no, a know, bit, yeah. you know, and I, I'm, I'm savvy enough these days. I used to go, um, um, guest speak at this friend's church, you know, at a different, in a different town. And, um, really strange. One of my spiritual mentors, this guy, really, really great guy. Um, died in the wool, trained Baptist, but you know, very progressive for that. Um, but he had planted this church and then merged with another charismatic church. And so there are these two divergent streams of, of, of churches that came together. One side, very charismatic, very operative in all of the gifts of the spirit and stuff. And, and then the other very, very, very much Baptist. And, um, and he's very Baptist. And so, but he, but he allowed some room 
inside of his services for some of these things to happen. But I did notice that every single time that I went to go preach at this guy's church, it was the same person every time, you know, who had a, you know, had a word of knowledge. And it freaked my friend. I took a friend once with me. I said, I'm going to preach at this guy's church. You want to come lead worship for me? He's like, totally. So we go down there and he was like, I am never going back to that church. (laughs) Because when she would stand up to do this thing, it was always like, she's speaking in the voice of God. You yeah, know, so they do the that same, thing like, yeah. like, you know, like I, you know, I declare over you that I love no. you. And I'm like, oh, how? And he's like, how that, what that, what the hell was that? I'm like, well, it's a word of knowledge. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. So I, super nice lady, you know, always put a hundred dollar bill in my hand when I left, which, you know, I was thankful <laughs> for. So, well, um, hey, all right. You know what? I think, all right. At I that point, you've purchased the right to say whatever it is you need to say. God bless you. You bought me lunch after and put a hundred dollar bill in my pocket. I'll pray about we it. Are, we are good to go. So, yes. um, and, and nothing she said was ever um, lunatic fringe. It was always very affirming and encouraging and, and good stuff, you know? So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I try not to be too cynical about this stuff, but, um, you know, life can turn you that way sometimes. There's a healthy skepticism. I think it's good to have there a healthy go. skepticism. Yes. Yeah, and and you know, and until proven otherwise. But you know, when if you're proven, if it if something, if you're testing it, you're you're uh, skeptical about it. But then all of a sudden, something happens. You're like, whoa, okay, yeah, maybe. You know, okay, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, you don't. Uh, I'd rather do that than just sort of believe and accept every crazy thing. That's when it gets to be dangerous, right? Right. People don't have a filter. And then that somebody comes up to them and prays over them and says, God's going to tell you to do this and that and the other. Like, okay, don't, no, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be yeah. careful. Some healthy skepticism comes in, but I, I but I, and I think the opposite end of that spectrum is true too, where you know, I'm always asking, I'm always asking people to at the very least be open-minded about the things that I say. I owe them that in return. You know, I owe them a, a healthy amount of skepticism, sure. Um, but, but I don't close myself off to the possibility. I could be wrong about some of this stuff. So, yeah. um, I think that, that, that makes for a healthy dialogue, but, um, yeah, I mean, man, I'm so excited about all the stuff you've got going on, man. Thanks, man. I, uh, and, and, and more than a little bit. I, so I, I, I am, I'm two chapters, three chapters into my book. And then we decided to open up this, this coffee shop and I right. haven't written a word in two months. Uh-huh. Um, but I was on, uh, I know, you know, Meg Calvin. And so Meg is my riding coach, right? Oh, and, cool. uh, and I love her and she's great. But I did almost quit last week. Oh, and it was, it, your, and it was your fault. Why? Like, well, because you keep posting, you know, oh yeah, by the way, wrote chapter one today. I'm like, fuck you, uh, Keith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. He's like, da, 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 da. hey, I finished chapter two today. I'm like, ah, oh, screw this shit, man. I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm like by the time you... I finish chapter one, Keith will have written three more books. <laughs> right. Well, it makes you feel any better. Like in the past two weeks, I haven't, I haven't touched it. It, it doesn't make me feel busy. better. It okay. doesn't. No, I'm just kidding, man. I just, I tease because, uh, um, cause I do have a, a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, obviously your discipline, um, to get stuff done and sit down and do the work. And we were talking to David Hayward a while back and, um, had the same thing came up with David Gunger this morning too. This, this notion of, um, this stuff doesn't fall out of the sky. No. Like you have to be like creative people still have to work. Yes. Um, and so David Hayward was telling John and me, cause you know, he's like, listen, I, I get up every day and I draw. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I draw. Even if it's terrible, I draw. Yep. Every day, I'm disciplined enough to do the work every day. And, and out of 500 little sketches I I draw, 20 or 30 are pretty damn good. That's exactly you know, 15 right. 15 or 20 are great. Um, and then so many of them end up on the scrap heap. But, he's, but, but 
know, this idea that somehow this stuff just falls out of the sky with creative people and they just, oh, they just produce stuff. No, no. you got to do the work, man. No, yeah, thank so. you for saying that, dude. And I totally agree with David Hayward. I mean, number the, the thing about if you're a writer or you're an artist or you're a photographer or whatever your, your creative thing is, do it. I, I, it used to annoy me that people would, would say, well, I'm an artist. I'm like, oh, really? What have you drawn? Like, well, well I was in 10th grade. I, did, I won this art contest. Okay, so you're not an artist. No, you're not. You used to be an artist, but you're not anymore. <laughs> okay, I got it. But like, you know, writers write. Artists draw. Photographers take pictures. Like whatever. You, singers sing. Songwriters write songs. Guitar players play the guitar. So you've got you to gotta have the discipline to at least do it, you know, uh, some regular. But as a writer, I, I recommend like do a blog, have a journal, write something. And, and the other thing, the key thing, man, he's dead on. This, you, if you have this idea, like I promise you, if you've ever read a great book, what you're reading is not the first draft of that book. Right. That is no the way. second, third, fourth, tenth version. It, it's not about the writing. It's the rewriting. The writing is like the phase I'm in right now when I tell you I've, I'm almost finished with the book and I'm, I'm on like the last chapter of, the, of my book. What I'm talking about is the just getting words on the page. Because once I finish writing and I say, okay, I finished what I wanted to say, I think, anywhere in the book. Well, then I go through a phase where I read through it. My wife, Wendy, reads through it. We make notes, edits, changes. I sometimes erase whole chapters where I rearrange things. Or I, I got I to gotta rewrite that whole paragraph because it sucks, right? Or it doesn't make sense. So like, there's the rewriting phase. And then even from there, it goes to an editor. And then, you know, the, the grammatical, all that stuff gets done on the editing side. And so it's a process, man. Um, it's not easy. And I know, I know people, we joke a lot about, oh, Keith writes a book every week, whatever. But um, I do have it down to a little bit of a science. I've been done, this is like my seventh book I'm working on right now for, for Acquire. And so, and I, you know, I, I have a system and I know how I do it. And I do try to write every day and all that. But I'll tell you, um, I got a couple of books sitting, you know, in folders that I never finished. Uh, I was working on a book called Square One. I was going to write a book about the whole deconstruction process and kind of work into it like, the stuff I've been putting, you know, walking people through in the square one and square two courses. And I wrote that thing and I even did a rewrite on that thing. And Winnie and I both decided, no, it's got, it's not anywhere near being done. There's so much more work to be done in this thing. And I just said, well, put that to the side. <laughs> I'll get to that some other time. So there's, you know what I mean? Like not everything is gold. Not everything comes out right the first time. Um, so, you know, hang in there, man. Oh yeah, no, I, I no, I was just having a little pity party, is all. I was just, you know, all this stuff is going on, and then I just found out that Brian Zahn's about to drop a book. Uh, similarly, you know, uh, Brian, so is Brad Jersak. They're both kind of going to approach this deconstruction topic a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, well, once Brian and Brad have weighed in on this stuff, what's left to say? You know, and then yeah, you know, don't, and Meg don't and Meg does Meg does what Meg does. Um, if you need a writing coach, by the way, Meg Calvin, uh, reach out to her. Um, she's uh, she's really, for me, she's 80% therapist and 20% writing coach. Cause mo- most of what I need her to do for me is get me out of my own head yes. um, and get me out of my own way where she's saying, listen, well, that, that might be true, but why don't you stop comparing yourself to these people that you, that you look right. up to and start embracing and leaning into who you are and what you'll, and I'm like, okay, I know, but just let me pout for a minute. Right. You know? No, I, yeah, I had someone, I had someone do that for me. Um, so the, I used to self-publish my books. I have like five or six books I self-published before I went with Choir with Jesus Untangled. And one of the books I was writing uh, at the time was a book called This Is My Body. And it was about our house church thing. And um, and as about halfway through writing that book, Frank Viola's book, 
pagan Christianity came out. Oh, and wow, I, yeah. I nearly did the same thing you did. I was like, well, forget, well, yeah. no one needs What's, my book, what right? What needs to be said has been said, right? He wrote, yeah. he wrote the book and anyone's ever going to need with footnotes galore. And, um, so what's the point? And then a, a friend came to me, just like Meg came to you. When, one of the guys in my house church, actually, his name is Brent. And I was telling him that. And he was like, Keith, yeah, that's fine. He goes, but you know what? You, how, how did he say it? It was something like Frank Viola. He's the one thing Frank Viola can never do is write a Keith Giles book. And you're the only one that can write a book from your perspective. You have experiences and perspectives and insights that he will never have because he's not you and you're not him. So don't, you know, you're not trying to be him, are you? Go, no, not at all. He goes, exactly. Be you, write the book that you feel like you're called to write and let him write his books. And they're, and they, and they are, they're two radically different books. So, you know, recognizing that the book you have that you want to write, and I'm just saying this to you, but anyone listening, if there's a book you want to write, don't get discouraged because, oh, Brian Zahn's writing a book about that. Yeah, that's great. Brian Zahn has a, his own audience, people that love him and read him, and, and I love him. I think he's great. Brad Jerzak, same thing. All those guys. Baxter, Paul Young, sure. Um, but I promise you, if you feel like there's a book in you that you need to put out, it's not going to be like their books. It's just, you know, it can't be. And so write the book that you feel called to write. Believe in that and push for that. And put it out there because then you're going to be able to talk to people that will never read one of those those books, right? There are people that would read your book that would never, don't even know who Brad Jerzak is, would never read a Baxter Kruger book. Um, so yeah, go for it. I, I think everyone needs to write their book. If they've got one, they want to write, go for it. Now, I appreciate that, man. John has a book in him too. He's got to write. So get get busy, John. Hurry up. Um, get off I'm, your lazy ass and do it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just... <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. have a writing coach, so uh, I'm, I'm hitting this one from a different perspective. But yeah, I'm, I'm about, I'm about four chapters in. Awesome. Um, so, so you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I've, I, I, I do the same damn thing. I get to the point where I was like, no one wants to read this. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in what I have to talk about that anybody would ever care about, right? But um, it's yeah, it's a pity party, and then you kind of, you just kind of have to grow, you know, grow up a little bit and realize, sure. yeah, stack you know, up, John. There, there, you know, <laughs> we, we all, we all have something to say. I think, and I think that's true. I mean, we really no, do. We so. all have something to say. And I, uh, you know, I think it's important to get those words out. So, uh, the, yeah, you know, poetry, a book, music, whatever, you know, um, I, you know, I applaud anybody who takes the time to do it. And, you know, you being someone, I think we all can look at as, um, as a, as a role model. Um, I mean, I'm sure you don't want to be called a role model, but I mean, in, in a, in a, in a way you are. And, you know, and I, and I think it's good for me. I mean, again, I'm only speaking of myself is, uh, as I've gotten to know you and find out, you know, how, how much of a regular person you are. Right. And then, uh, it's like, okay, so yeah, this is doable. This is doable. Yeah, if I can do it, that's that's what keith brings to the table he's that guy like listen seriously dude come on man come on (laughs) keith can do it keith can do it john can do it (laughs) oh man it's 8 30 here and i've been up since 4 30 so my happy sorry butt is gonna go roast some coffee and go to bed so okay um, but um hey um man i'm serious about having you come out so let's uh let's let's I'll shoot you an email or something or shoot you a message. We can Let's start make it happen. So the next time I come on here, we'll talk about how I'm going to be coming out to San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it would be, I think it would be awesome. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah, let's, let's put our heads together and see what we can do on that. Absolutely. Um, but in the meantime, um, yeah, catching up with Keith, what a good idea. 
Um, there's always interesting stuff going on, man. We, we respect the hell out of you. We love you. Um, love what you're putting out into the world. The content is always fantastic. Um, so yeah, appreciate you sharing the time with us, man. Well, thank you Absolutely. guys. I am, I am so blessed and honored that you guys, uh, that you love me and you have me, gave me a chance to do this. It was your idea. So I'm like, yeah, oh, well, absolutely. I'll, hey, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. I had a great time. I loved it. Let's do it again. All right. Yeah. Until next time, right? Well, do, 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 catching up with Keith. Do, 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 catching up with Keith. It's been a while since we talked to Keith Giles. So what we're going to do, we're going to catch up with Keith. All right, there we go. We got that. Huh? I've been working on that for an hour. Huh? Been a while you since you talked to Keith. Come on, Hitting man. Hitting the stop button right now. There we go. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.